You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Well, today we got the final results from the Georgia election. And it looks very much like there is now control by the Democrats in both the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And it's going to have an impact on health care. So what I want to talk about today are both politics of all this, what just happened, and its impact on health care. Let's talk about the impact of the Georgia Senate races. What happened there in case you've been living under a rock, is the Democrats have won two more seats, which gives them a 50-50 split in the U.S. Senate. And with the Vice President Kamala Harris heading up the Senate, she's basically President of the Senate as well as Vice President of the United States, she will be the tie-breaking vote, which means the Democrats have 51 votes, the Republicans have 50 And as a result, they will control the agenda, they will control the committees, they will control the chairmanships, and most importantly, with 51 votes, they will control the judiciary selections, any Supreme Court uh, nominee that might come up, uh, they would be able to vote in whoever they want with 51 votes. But maybe for you and me, the real key here is that with 51 votes, they can put any kind of tax reform in that they want. Remember, in most votes, the House is going to be very closely divided, but they tend to stay together. So even with only a a five-vote margin or so in the uh, House, they'll be able to pass any kind of tax legislation which begins in the House. And in the Senate, it only takes 51 votes uh, to pass a tax bill, which is how In many ways, Obamacare and other tax bills uh, were considered. So this is a big deal that Georgia went Democrat. So what's going to happen? Well, there's still an outside hope. Today is Thursday if you're listening to this broadcast. But there are still 75,000 votes that are out. That may or may not include, from the information I have, 15,000 to 17,000 votes that are coming from overseas, many of the military. But with um, John Ossoff um, leading David Perdue by about 17,000 votes at this point, I don't see there's any way to overcome that uh, with even a few hundred votes um, for David Perdue to win, which would give total control then to the Republicans in the Senate with even just that one extra vote. So I don't see much change, and I think we can move forward and assume with any recount that goes on or any challenge to the election that may come on the next week or so, that in fact uh, the Republicans have lost in both those races and John Ossoff and um, uh, Senator Warnick uh, will be sworn in as the next senators from the state of Georgia. Now, what does this prove on the political side? Well, the Democrats have been hoping for years 
that the demographics of this country would change, that more minorities would um, accumulate, would grow, their families are growing faster than other parts of, of uh, our population, that uh, more Hispanics would be coming into this country who would want to um, uh, vote for all the freebies that the Democrats put out there for them, all the promises, even if they're ultimately broken, it doesn't seem to matter. And as a result, we're sort of seeing that. In Georgia, the increase in the population over the last number of years has been mainly in the Atlanta area. Uh, because of the good economics, people came to Atlanta uh, for jobs. So the ironic thing is the Trump administration created this economic boom for minorities uh, in population areas like Atlanta. And as a consequence, people moved from other states getting out of uh, the liberal uh, swamp that they had in other states came to Georgia, which is a typically conservative uh, state, and as a result they brought their politics with them and they brought their biases with them and so we have this demographic change that is affecting Georgia now, so Georgia is now really a purple state, it's not a blue state or a red state, it's a purple state and the Republicans who at one point um, had total control of the state, every statewide elected official was Republican. The House and the Senate were Republican. And so they basically controlled everything. Now the question is going to be in Georgia. Um, and and you know, I lived many, many years in Georgia, but I'm one of those uh, retirees who would flee to Florida for lower taxes and uh, better government control. Uh, of our lives than was happening in Georgia. Um, where's the leadership going to go in Georgia? Uh, the president, President Trump, has denounced the um, uh, fecklessness of the uh, Georgia governor, uh, Governor Kemp. And, um, you know, where's the follow up? Where's Kemp going to go in four years from now, or three years, or two years, whatever the next election cycle is for him? Um, how's he going to run on the uh, challenges that uh, the Trump administration has set out that he is not very strong? And I can say from personal experience that um, Republicans have always worried about um, Governor Kemp um, as being a weak governor. I wouldn't be surprised if Stacey Abrams, who lost the governorship last time to uh, Kemp, doesn't rerun for governor if she's not in a a Biden administration someplace, um, her ability to uh, gather money, uh, to make speeches, to encourage the black community to come out and vote, uh, to do the, the ballast harvesting, whatever uh, term you want to use there. She was very effective in gathering up a lot of votes and being able to submit them, get the black community out. And I'll talk about that in a minute, uh, that she's now going to be the darling of the Democratic Party. So, if Biden was smart, he'd probably put her in charge of the uh, Democratic National Committee. There have been other talks about whether she should be uh, attorney general or in some other cabinet position, but I'm not quite sure. It'll be interesting to see what they do because the Democratic Party and Biden are very much beholden uh, to the minority uh, community. So I guess the time has come. We are on the uh, threshold of a, a, a new America. Uh, where the demographics are growing such, and if the Democrats now under Biden want to have open borders, 
want to give amnesty to illegals who are here, give them voting rights. Um, we are on the threshold of totally changing this country to a much more uh, uh, socialist, hopefully not much more than democratic socialist, but we've now elected uh, from Georgia Warnick, somebody who is clearly uh, a strong socialist and some would uh, define him as a Marxist. So to go along with the AOC and the squad in the House, we now have representatives in the Senate uh, that think along those same lines of somebody who would uh, praise um, Fidel Castro and um, criticize the United States um, like so many of the Democrats seem to be um, wanting to do, blame America first kind of a culture. So let's take a look at the demographics since that's changing so much. Um, in Georgia, uh, more uh, minorities showed up to vote in the runoff election and even were voting in the November election. So 32% of the vote uh, was black. Uh, that's up from 29% in November. Now, the strength of the black vote was pretty remarkable. Um, 6% voted Republican and 94% uh, voted Democrat. Uh, when you have that high a percentage of the population voting in that kind of strength, it um, makes it very difficult uh, when they want bigger government to take care of them. They want more freebies. They want more welfare. They want more um, health care given by the federal government. Um, but it wasn't just the, the minority vote there. Um, in fact, the mod so-called moderates, I'm not sure how, the term moderate, uh, it was defined in the survey that I'm quoting from. But the moderates voted uh, Democrat um, with 67% of the vote versus 33% of the moderates. Um, pretty significant push there for uh, Democrats uh, from so-called moderates. And surprisingly, it wasn't stronger, but under age um, 45, the, uh, the difference there was uh, about um, – 17% of the um, uh, vote was stronger for uh, Democrats under age uh, 45. And even in the suburban vote, the difference was five. So it's more like 53 to 48 um, of the suburbanites went for the Democrats. And suburbanites there um, really comes from the domination of the Atlanta marketplace. The Atlanta marketplace used to be basically Fulton County. But that cancer has spread so that the Democratic votes that are sort of in lockstep don't seem to look at the real issues or the, the impact of what they're voting is spread to DeKalb County, which we saw last night come in with a block of over 100,000 votes that totally changed the way the election was going at the time when they finally submitted their block of votes. You have Cobb County, which used to be a very Republican area, uh, but it's spread outside down the Fayette County and Henry County and that whole big surrounding area of Atlanta uh, went very heavily Democrat. I think the Democrats did an unbelievable job of getting out the vote and locking that in. What's amazing to me is that I don't understand how knowing that this is going to give the power of the Senate to the Democrats along with the other two branches of government, that you would really want to be for what the Democrats have said that they are in favor of, what the Biden um, uh Platform stated open borders, sanctuary cities, defunding the police, tax increases, regulations, uh, health care mandates. I just don't understand how the voters of Georgia um, would want to do that. I don't understand how any voter 
would want to have that kind of a change in this country um, that uh, doesn't seem to benefit um, the common person, the working person, um, that we have cities that are burning, we have small businesses that are not being supported, uh, we have um, uh, dictatorial governorships in democratic states that are uh, preventing uh, the citizens from um, uh, from working, from restaurants and gyms and bars and uh, churches, from being able to have uh, public gatherings. So it's pretty amazing to me uh, that um, that this is happening. And it's not going to affect me personally at my age, but it's going to affect my kids and grandkids. And I think many of you listening in today have those same worries. But let's continue uh, and talk about uh, what some of the impact is on health care. So let's take a break right now, and we'll come back and talk about um, the politics of health care and where we're going to go under this totally new administration with an enormous amount of power given to one party. Be right back. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today we're talking about health care and the impact that the recent uh, political elections have had, especially uh, the final elections that we are holding for the Senate in Georgia, and the impact now that that gives complete power and control to the Democrats that will now control both the House, although a small uh, majority in the House, a tie in the Senate with the um, vice president being able to be a tiebreaker, and um, and the presidency. So enormous amount of power has been invested in Democrats, and we'll see how they um, how they govern this country and how respectful they are that we are a divided country with at least 74 million people uh, that voted against them, whether they will respect that, whether they consider those people um, uh, deplorables, uh, racist, uh, misinformed, whatever they're going to do. There's been a lot of accusations and a lot of hurt feelings in this election, maybe more than, than ever before. But following along uh, political lines and then leading up to um, the impact on, on health care, um, the Georgia results really follow uh, a pattern here that may likely continue, that Georgia is now a, a purple state, it's up for um, uh, election both Republicans and Democrats at the state level and at the federal offices as well. Uh, the only thing that's holding the Republicans together at the federal level for House seats is that Georgia Republicans still control the um, Georgia um, House of Representatives and the Senate. And the gerrymandering of uh, House seats means that Republicans can still be elected uh, to go to the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives. And some would say that's very unfair, that the gerrymandering is a negative term, but it is about the only thing holding the Republican Party uh, together across many states that are controlled by Republicans, it's going to make it very difficult to win the presidency or um, Senate seats in the future. Um, so we'll just have to see where that goes. But the pattern um, really began a few years ago with Virginia, uh, a southern state that is now a purple state, if not a blue state. Uh, it's very difficult to get elected as a Republican in, in uh, Virginia. And, of course, the other state south of the Mason-Dixon line that's been uh, pretty heavily Democrat for a long time is Maryland. It's controlled by, again, the major metropolitan area there is Baltimore. 
Yes, they have a Republican governor there at the moment, but he's a fairly a liberal Republican. That may be what it takes to get elected as a Republican is basically mimic the liberalism of the Democrats. So being from Georgia and many of you listening to this podcast are from Georgia, what's the future uh, for a state like Georgia that's, um, that's turning uh, its color uh, from, from red to blue, from conservative to more liberal? Well, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, Governor um, Kemp up there is um, likely a one-term governor. Um, Things may change when he has to run again, but um, he's not been a very strong governor in a lot of ways. Um, He's resided over a state that's had major problems with COVID outbreaks, and um, he's residing over a state where more and more of the votes are coming from the metropolitan Atlanta area where he is not very popular, just as the um, the senators were not very popular in getting votes there. In the past, the uh, Governor Kemp was the Secretary of State, and he used that position to uh, gain his governorship. Well, um, uh, the Se- Secretary of State now is uh, Rathensburg, and he's very unpopular with Republicans for the way he's handled the, um, the election um, fraud and uh, whether he's done the right things or not, the impression is that he has not. So, what's left? What's the major party figure that is likely to step forward? Well, the only one I can think of at the moment, and um, I'm not in the state, I'm not as involved with knowing and understanding some of the uh, power sources there in the state from a political standpoint, but the one, one bright hope of an individual that I've seen is the lieutenant governor. Uh, Jeff Duncan. Uh, He seems to be a real up-and-comer. He's a good-looking candidate. He speaks very uh, strongly in um, free market and conservative principles. He's a very thoughtful guy. He's got a good staff around him, and I suspect he may very well run against the current governor for governorship at the next uh, election in Georgia. Let me give you another example of how uh, Governor Kemp really hasn't been a very strong governor anyway on health care which is the real issue of healthcare visions to take a look at how do we change this country and create some free market options. Well, the Trump administration was very accommodating in trying to find some alternatives to the expansion of Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. They approached the state of Georgia thinking that they had a Republican governor, Republican uh, House and Senate, and the governor could move quickly and offered Uh, the uh, Republicans and the governor in the state of Georgia to do something creative and inventive, very much like the personalized care approach that we've been talking about in this program for a long time, a very special way of handling those um, high-risk individuals doing the best for the sickest among us and looking at a risk segmentation model, which is the real key to having a true free market that addresses the needs of each and every person who wants insurance, provides for guaranteed issue, provides for covering of pre-existing conditions. We've gone through all the details of that. I presented it personally to the governor's staff. They said they looked at it, but I don't think they ever really read through the details. They were intent on doing something very simple, following what some other states did, and the Trump administration said they don't need another example like that. They wanted somebody to do something very creative. Well, the governor punted, went to some outside consultants, and as most of you know, as a consultant myself, consultants usually don't take 
the most aggressive, creative approach. They'll do what other people are doing so that if it doesn't work, they can say, well, everybody else did it. Um, and so we did not get a creative approach uh, from Governor Kemp. And I think that is to the detriment of the citizens of Georgia. And we'll find him having to answer for that when um, we get to the uh, next next election. Well, let's take uh, and comment on one person who has been very effective in Georgia, and that is Stacey Abrams. The power of Stacey Abrams is really amazing, uh, the way she was able to get votes. And I think she ought to be the um, uh, DNC chair. She might wind up with another position at in the Biden administration. But clearly the Biden administration is very much beholden to the minority community and to uh, Stacey Abrams as somebody who has really been able to get a ground game going, take advantage of any weaknesses in the system, whether you consider that fraud and abuse or or uh, harvesting of ballots or however she did it, she did it without detection and uh, and gave Biden a victory in Georgia. Um, if she implements those systems in other Democratic states and major areas, uh, metropolitan areas like Fulton County, she does it in other states across this country, um, it'll be hard for Republicans to actually make up any ground and to uh, win any seats in the future. Now, what else does it show with Stacey Abrams being able to do this and the charges of racism against perfectly good and honest, decent people on the Republican side? Well, it shows that the power of racism label is still very powerful. You can label that with somebody and you can get an enormous number of uh, black voters thinking that what you're saying is actually true. They have been hearing that for decades and decades by the media, uh, by every outlet, that they are the victims of of white supremacists, that they've been victims of a white uh, privilege, and that they are victims and they continue to vote 90% better um, for um, any Democrat candidate, regardless of whether it's a white Democrat or a black Democrat. And certainly even if it's a black a Republican, uh, they'll still vote for the Democrats. We've seen across the country and other areas. It's really unfortunate that that block of votes is taken for granted. Uh, they put in the power of people who really don't have the interest in the black community. They haven't really done much for the black community. They make promises, but it was only Trump who actually did some things like opportunity zones, get unemployment rates way down in the black community, get unemployment rates down for uh, black youth uh, to... Um, uh, to to fund the um, historically black colleges and universities the way he did, uh, to do justice reform, judicial reform, uh, to free people who have been wrongly imprisoned for long periods of time uh, with rules and regulations that were set up uh, under the um, under the um, uh, Biden um, uh, administration. So when he was vice president under. Um, um, Obama. So there's so much that has been done for the black community. It's amazing that the jobs that were created, people came to Atlanta, came to Georgia, and they turned around and they voted against the person who actually created the jobs and opportunities, and the reason why they came to Georgia. Unfortunately, they came with their own political uh, agendas as well. So what's the impact of the uh, this, this completely... Um, powerful Democratic Party with the House and the Senate. What's likely to happen? Well, we know what their agenda was. We know what they're planning on doing. They've said it, whether they actually carry it out, could be another issue. 
but certainly they talked about open borders. They talked about sanctuary cities, expanding them, or certainly not punishing them. Then, so it gives them uh, license to continue to do what they're doing and harbor uh, fugitives and and uh, gang members and the uh, criminal element that comes across our borders. Uh, they want to defund the police, and we can see already what's happening with defunding the police uh, in major cities where the crime rate is going up. Police don't want to go into areas to take a look at and solve a crime because then they get accused of um, being unfair to the minority population uh, if that's where the crime is, has been committed or if the crime has been committed by a minority trying to arrest them. Uh, it just doesn't work out very well for the police. They can get uh, demoted, they can get fired, they can lose their livelihood, they can even lose their lives, as many have uh, being uh, shot just by sitting in a patrol car uh, waiting for a call within that community. We're going to see enormous tax increases under the Biden administration, especially with the power of taxing being only a 51% vote. We're going to see it start in the House, it'll go to the Senate, and then be signed in by the president. So we're going to see enormous tax increases. I want to talk about that in the next segment, about tax increases relative to health care. We're going to see enormous growth in regulations uh, that um, are, are likely to be out there that the Trump administration has been removing. And we're going to see more uh, health care mandates. So we're going to see an enormous change under this Congress that is going to have complete Democratic control. It's a real worry for those of us who uh, believe in free markets. It's a real worry uh, for people who are concerned about the growth of the extremists on the left and how Biden might be pushed even further to the left uh, by um, uh, the AOCs in the House and by the uh, Joel Warnicks now in the Senate and others that are really pushing for an aggressive, what they call progressive agenda, but many of us consider it a high degree of socialism uh, fueled by those who have indicated Marxist tendencies to begin with. How in the world they get elected, um, I'll never know or understand, uh, but that's a concern. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back about uh, health care reform again and what increased taxes uh, might uh, do to affect health care. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. We're talking about politics and healthcare, healthcare reform under a new Biden administration with the presidency, the Senate, and the House under Democrat control. But my own risk, I want to step back and talk about this continuous charge of racism against every Republican candidate, regardless of how decent they are, regardless of what their record is, regardless of how they have voted. I want to talk about this idea of racism. I watched a program last night that kind of relates to all this. It's called Finding Your Roots. It's uh, Professor Gates who um, takes individuals and looks at their background, helps them find out what their ancestry is, and opens up some doors and stories of their own uh, family past that they didn't know about. Last night there were two of the three um, celebrities that he was doing profiles on. It kind of struck me when I thought about the idea of this continued charge of racism. One was Gail King. Gail King is a celebrity that's on, um, I think it's CBS. And when they did her background, 
they discovered that she was one-third white. Now, the amazing part is not that she was one-third white, is that she was almost embarrassed by being one-third white, almost apologetic for being one-third white. Why should that be the case? Why should somebody who has a heritage feel that way about whatever their background in history is? I've got ancestors who are of different religious beliefs than me, but I don't feel apologetic for some being uh, Puritans or being Mormons or being Anabaptists or a religion different than my own or having any religion. But here on racism, people have been so imbibed with the falsehoods that white people are so racist that they're automatically evil. And that brings me to the second person, a Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, in his background, found out that he was almost half-white. And again, he was shocked by that. Again, almost apologetic because it, he said it changed his vision of race. That maybe there's more nuances to the idea of race and racial backgrounds. Because he said on TV, he said he thought most white people were racist. So his having white blood in was really shocking to him. And Professor Gates said to him, yes, it is more nuanced. There's more differences. But the most amazing part of Jordan Peele's understanding that he was half white is that his mother was white. And yet he still thought that white people were racist. But when the moderator said, but your mother was white, she's not racist. And he says, oh, of course not. So the media and the storyline of white racism is so pervasive in this country that anybody who is white seems to be perceived as racist. And it's not true. But in politics, if you continue to just say it over and over and over again, Somehow that penetrates into the black voting that they just continue, regardless of the fact that they have not benefited from the Democratic Party, that there are many more voices speaking out. It's just not getting through because of the heavy media and the drumbeat for decades that the black community has been victimized by white racism, systemic racism, and that they can't get ahead because of that. Yet every other minority that comes to this country, whether it's the Jewish minority, whether it's the Asian minority, whether it's other African minorities that come to this country, they take advantage of the opportunities to get ahead. They take advantage of our legal system, of our entrepreneurial system, of the ability to borrow money to start a business, to employ people, to be creative, to go to school and get educated. They do it. But somehow a vast majority of the black community has been told that they can't, and therefore it's not even worth trying. It is a shame in this country that that continues to be the issue. And let me give you the most striking thing. As a white male conservative, somebody who believes in life, an anti-abortion person, I don't want to see abortions. Isn't it amazing that 90% of minorities, of black kids growing up, will ultimately vote Democrat, or so it seems today? Yet, 
In every other case of racism, we talk about the disproportionate impact on the minority community. Well, there's a disproportionate impact on the minority community of abortions. If abortions hadn't happened for the last 20 years, the black community would be double the size that it is today. And yet, who is trying to save black babies so they can grow up and enjoy the freedoms this country provides? It's the conservative Republicans that have been fighting for life. And it is the Democrats that have been supporting the idea of abortion on demand and even after birth. And it disproportionately affects the black community. So you want to talk about racism? Racism will be killing people in disproportionate numbers in the minority community. In fact, we know the history of Planned Parenthood was set up originally by Sanger to rid this country of as many black children as possible. And yet that's accepted by the Democratic Party and has ignored uh, history and background and the effect of Planned Parenthood on black communities. So I don't know how else to get across the message, but I think politicians are afraid to even make that link that as a conservative, you're trying to save black lives. And as Democrats, they're trying to kill as many black lives as they can and make it abortion freely available uh, in the black communities where Planned Parenthood uh, is very heavily concentrated. So what are we left with all this? What's the political end game here now that Democrats will have control of the House, the Senate, and the presidency? Well, it's a thin line of potential defense. That thin line rests on one senator from West Virginia. Joe Manchin is a Democrat in a state that Trump carried by more than 20 points, that the current governor of West Virginia was a Democrat who changed to being a Republican because the Democratic Party had left him and his principles did not represent the principles of West Virginia, certainly did not represent the coal mining industry and the energy industry that is prevalent for so many jobs in West Virginia. So Joe Manchin is a Democrat. He was governor of Virginia. He's been senator for a long time. And he has personally said that he would not vote to eliminate the filibuster. And the filibuster is the one thing that would give the Republicans the ability to halt some of the most extreme proposals that will be put forward over the next couple of years until potentially the House can be taken over by Republicans and maybe the Senate return to Republican control again. So what's going to happen over the next two years? If we don't have a filibuster, then the Senate can pack the Supreme Court, which is what they said they were going to do. They can pass any kind of legislation that they want without a filibuster. They can already do any tax reform because that only requires 51 votes. And they may be able to even add some states to put in two or four or six new Democratic senators. So a lot rests on Joe Manchin and his conservative background, but whether he'll actually have the guts to vote to keep the filibuster is another question. He's never voted against his party in the past on key issues. He's always gone along because his ability to be in chairmanships, his ability to get funding, his ability to support across the board, many of the things that he wants to get done relies on Democratic leadership. 
Now, if he had any real guts and any principles at all, he would change the Republican Party. Much like a Republican did when last time there was a 50-50 mix. Republican Senator Schweiker from Pennsylvania changed parties, became a Democrat, so Democrats took over control of the Senate. Well, Joe Manchin ought to do the same thing and convert to be a Republican. Republicans are much more in line with his basic principles, his core values, and his policy issues. And I'm sure there will be some pressure or at least some discussion with him to try to make that change. Whether he's got the guts to do it uh, is another issue. We'll find out before too long whether that's what really happens. So let's talk about health care or health reform. And in health reform, I want to talk about both health care reform and health insurance reform and wrap that up in the last section. But I want to get started a little bit with some of the issues that I want to talk about to uh, end this podcast. First of all, in healthcare, um, the issue we just talked about abortion is going to um, be loosened, any restrictions. There's something called the Hyde Amendment, which when we give foreign aid to other countries, that they are not allowed to use those dollars uh, to promote or to carry out abortions. That's been a longstanding, probably for 50 or more years. It was ma- named after Henry Hyde in the House who had it passed and uh, signed into um, law uh, many decades ago, probably 50, maybe 60 years ago. Well, that Hyde Amendment is going to be um, reversed. Uh, Biden has always said it was a big mistake that he voted for that, and he will eliminate it so that we will have more abortions more freely available, um, even if it means the elimination of more potential uh, Democratic minority voters uh, but that that would be 18, 20 years from now, so he's not really worried about that. Let's just carry out abortions to satisfy uh, the feminist wing of the party and the progressive wing of the party. Uh, we're clearly going to have um, more emphasis on COVID. I don't know what else they could do. President Trump has done the Operation Warp Speed. Uh, he's used the military to distribute it around the country. The states have been... Uh, lax in being able to implement it. You've had some bad actors who have destroyed some of the uh, vaccines that are available to people, but clearly it is the uh, main solution that's going to be available uh, to get us through this, and we're down to the end stages of getting it done. So um, hopefully we will see the Biden administration pushing the distribution of the vaccine. We have two now. We should have Johnson & Johnson coming on board, and actually that's a one-shot as opposed to the current uh, two shots from uh, Moderna and um, and Pfizer. So the Johnson Johnson is a one shot and done. I think it will have great popularity, not only in the United States, but around the world. And my understanding is they can produce that in the billions. And since we have 7 billion people in this world that are going to be needing it to some degree or another, then we uh, actually need to get that out uh, quickly, and it should become available. The trials are ending. It should get approval uh, sometime in February for distribution. So we're up against another time break. Um, let's take a break right now, and we'll come back, and we'll continue to talk about health reform, both health insurance reform and health care reform under the Biden administration, with the complete powers being in the hands of the Democrats. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. 
These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I would also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit. Again, that's warriors and the number four, hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Hey guys, it's Minister Frankie with Shine His Light Ministries. It's getting cold outside and winter is coming. It's time to shine a little light on our friends on the street. We're collecting blankets and coats for the homeless all winter long. Please donate by going to our website at www.shinehislightministry.com or text 770-655-8055. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on The Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Let's continue with our discussion of politics and health reform. For health reform, we're talking about both health care reform and health insurance reform. So let's talk about the impact of a one-party control of the U.S. Congress and the presidency. Well, we already talked about that we're going to have uh, more abortion uh, leniency. We're going to have more funding of Planned Parenthood, elimination of the Hyde Amendment. Um, hopefully the uh, uh, emphasis on the distribution and immunization for covid but from a standpoint of some other aspects of health um, care, the ability for you and I as individuals to have more power over our health care uh, resides in a couple of uh, funding mechanisms that allows us to spend our own dollars on health care as we want. One is called an HRA or health reimbursement arrangement, and the other is a, a health savings account. Those are accounts that empower individuals uh, to make their own choices and even to cover some things in health care that your insurance policy might not other, otherwise provide for. So, if, for example, if you're concerned about your family history of, of um, atherosclerosis and you want to have a body scan and find a calcium level within your arteries, that's all available today, but it may not be covered by your insurance policy. But if you have either an HRA or an HSA, uh, you can have those things covered for your own uh, sake and 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 security of of what it is you might be facing down the road, be able to take more preventive actions. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with transparency because uh, on January first of this year, a new Trump um, uh, executive order went into place requiring hospitals and doctors to post prices, uh, cash prices for a significant number of standard procedures 
and uh, that's supposed to be in place now. So will the Biden administration extend that, expand it, uh, delete it? Um, it's probably one of the most significant things on health care reform uh, that's possible that allows allows people to uh, to shop. And I think another area that um, uh, we're going to see is a lot more defensive medicine. And why do I say that? Because defensive medicine is doing things that aren't necessarily of value, but it protects the doctor from lawsuits. Well, the Democratic Party being in total control, you're certainly not going to see any limits or restrictions on trial lawyers. You're not going to see any tort reform as part of a health care program, which it really should be. Tort reform is a big issue that Republicans have been pushing for a long time, and even when they were in control, couldn't get it through. But the Democrats, I believe, will loosen up the areas of any restrictions, and they certainly will not put in any new restrictions into trial lawyers. So those ads you see on TV, if you have methamphetamine or whatever the condition is, contact this lawyer because there's some class action lawsuit. Now, what most people maybe don't even understand is that class action lawsuits don't benefit the consumer or the patient at all. It benefits the lawyer. They get the significant part of any settlement. They get their fees paid at a very high level of $500, dollars an hour. And so they, they try to find class action lawsuits just to make a lot of money. It's way a lawyer's, um, especially startup lawyers, new lawyers can find themselves with a whole pot of money and getting rich real quick by finding some reason to take a class action lawsuit, many of which never get as far as those TV ads that you see because the companies are so fearful. They'll pay off the lawyers to drop the lawsuit, but the lawyer gets all the money and gets rich doing it. The other thing with healthcare is going to be, I think, a unionization of medical staff. Many hospitals are, are staffed with volunteers, are staffed with professionals, are staffed with uh, doctors and other healthcare professionals that are acting on their own, and they're not unionized, so you don't see hospital staff going on strike. Well, I think they're going to see the uh, SEIU, which has been a big supporter of the Biden administration, stepping forward. They're going to be lessening of uh, the rules to get unionized are going to be a big push for more union jobs and unionization of medical staff and doctors and nurses and uh, technicians is going to be a big part of the push over the next few years. Many, many people may not even know this, but I've had experience with unionized uh, medical professionals. Um, I once did a consulting job for Kaiser, and and in that consulting job, I wanted to go out and I wanted to see how the care was delivered and what the patient experience was. Well, I found out that when I went in and had a test into an office, in the middle of the test, um, the nurse left, didn't come back, and then maybe 30 minutes later, somebody else came in. I said, what happened to the first nurse? Well, her time was up. She's on. She's a union job, and as a result, she couldn't work any longer, and she had to leave, and I was just getting here, and, uh, and so I'm taking over the case now. Also, when I checked in, before all that testing, I went to the front desk. The front desk is all unionized. As a result, I didn't get any service. Now, it's bad enough in healthcare not to get the kind of service that you want, uh, whether it's unionized or not. I mean, I always sort of jokingly, half-jokingly at least, say it's only in a doctor's office or a medical facility that you're put into a waiting room, whereas if you're in a real business, you're put into a reception area entirely different concept and reason for why you might be waiting or how you're treated when you go to get services or buy products uh, from somebody who's offering them up. The medical community is entirely different than if you're in any other kind of business. 
And I think the number one area that they're going to really be pushing is the Medicaid expansion. Now, that's unfortunate because Medicaid is fraught with waste, fraud, and abuse that nobody wants to tackle or control. It's been under a fraud abuse now for, um, oh gosh, at least 40, up to 50 years on the government accounting office that does inspections of various government programs. It's been under watch as a fraud area. It's an area where organized crime has been infiltrating because the government has very little checks and balances on monies they send out. There's a lot of fraud uh, submittals that get paid, and then the government chases it after they get paid. In fact, they call it pay and chase as their business model. So what happens is those crooks that are submitting bills that get paid, they're long gone by the time the government goes uh, to check on anything that might um, uh, be uh, an illegal payment. Now let's take a few minutes and talk about health insurance. What's the um, likelihood of changes under a Biden administration for health insurance? Well, we just talked about Medicaid expansion instead of free market expansion to get the working poor coverage. We'll try to get Medicaid expansion as a replacement of the concept of free market. They don't believe in the free market. They don't want the free market. They just want more government control, and they'll likely put in some sort of a, uh, uh, a Medicare for all or a Medicare option which will be heavily government subsidized, which means that people will tend to go over there and because it's going to be cheaper because you can't um, compete with a government who's got unlimited deep pockets uh, to help fund any kind of insurance uh, program, which is what will happen with a uh, government option. And people will think it's great and wonderful. And, um, and it's fine. They don't see that they're actually paying the bill and that others are paying the bill and that we have waste, fraud, and abuse in the Medicare program as well as the Medicaid program. But the reality is that you all need to know and understand out there around the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act gives the Secretary of HHS enormous powers to do almost whatever they want in interpreting the laws and regulations. And in fact, under the Trump administration, there were interpretations that were different than what the Obama interpretations were and the Trump interpretations opened up the market for more choices and more options than had been available or would have ever been available under Obama. And the question is, can the Biden administration reverse all that and go back to the restrictions? Best example is health reimbursement arrangements. Under the Obama administration, they were not allowed to exist as a standalone so that employers could put money into or designate money for a health reimbursement arrangement that then can be used to buy an individual policy, that was not allowed under Obama. But Trump reversed that and said, yes, it is allowed. You can't have a health reimbursement arrangement only to help fund individual policies. And it gave individuals and entrepreneurs with their own businesses, sole proprietorships, an option to use tax advantage dollars. Now, I'm going to tell you the biggest change that's likely to happen under the uh, Biden administration, unless it can be stopped with a filibuster. And that is, Democrats see the tax-free benefit of health insurance by employers as being the biggest subsidy, government subsidy, that is out there. It's worth probably $800 billion or more per year. Now, you see, the way the Democrats view things is if you get something and you're allowed to keep your own money, that that's a subsidy. Now, the government isn't paying anything to you when you get a tax-free benefit. It's just that they're not taxing uh, the income that might otherwise be assumed uh, for getting that benefit. 
that's been in place now since right after World War II, but it's the biggest tax bucket that's out there, and it will help destroy the uh, employer uh, private market health insurance because it's a great benefit for people needing health care. And the Biden administration uh, wants to get rid of that um, uh, tax benefit uh, for uh, groups. It would be just not only large groups, but small groups, any employer based. So it would wind up being the same problems as if you went out as an individual, you had to buy with after tax dollars. You're going to have to buy your health care or make your contribution to the employer with after tax dollars. Now, if you have that situation, then you have a government subsidized program. Guess which way people are going to move so that we can actually get to a single payer system, which is the end goal of the Democrats. So we're going to move closer to that. It's going to be probably the biggest change that the Democrats will actually put forth. So let's wrap this up by talking about how China has involved so much in this country to change. Of course, we had the China um, COVID, the China virus that came over here. Um, and China never probably could have thought about how significant and what the ramifications were because it not only passed COVID to the United States and around the world, but because of the COVID, it allowed the Democrats to set up a mail-in and a mail-out process for voting, which opened up the door to fraud and abuse and all sorts of issues that otherwise um, shouldn't really exist. So what about the Biden-China connection with the family? They've been very heavily invested and supportive of China. Biden has even said himself that we shouldn't worry about China, yet they're trying to take over this country. They're trying to take over and replace us as the world power. They want the yuan to replace the dollar as the international currency. So what else has happened? Well, because of the um, virus and because of all the, the mail-in problems and issues, they've taken over the Senate and the presidency. Now, we narrow down the difference in the House, but the House is still in Democratic control. And as long as you control the House by one vote, you Democrats get together as a group and they, they never vote against each other. They don't split. There's no blue dog Democrats as they used to be in the House many decades ago. So as a result, China has had everything go its way in terms of weakening the United States, hurting us economically, changing our politics, and helping to elect people who are more sympathetic to China or at least going to look the other way when we have the China issues where Trump was very hard on China stealing our intellectual property for cheating, for spying, for taking advantage of us in uh, trade negotiations. All that is now dramatically at risk with the Biden administration. So, I hope some of this was interesting, allowed me to vent. I hope it wasn't too much of a, a therapy session for me to get some of these ideas out. Um, but thank you for listening. And join us next week on America's Web Radio for Healthcare Insight. I'm Ron Bachman signing off for this week. Please join us again next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.